We are starting a new series today, and the series is called I Belong. This is going to be our Christmas series. It's going to be our end of the year series, and we're going to break down several components of the Christmas story between now and December 23rd, and uh, we're going to just work out this theme, I Belong. I Belong. I'm reading from the book of Luke, chapter 1. Beginning at verse 26, Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. This is what it says. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and uh, bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Now, here's the key. Verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Repeat after me. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Father, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would speak to us mightily by the power of your word and spirit. Give us understanding. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Belonging. This month we're going to talk about belonging. What does it mean to belong? Now the word belonging has two basic senses. The first sense is the possessive sense. To belong means to be the possession of another. If you hold up a pair of car keys and say, whose car is this? Whose keys are these? You say, those are the keys to my car. When you say my car, what you mean is that that car is one of your belongings. It means that you possess that vehicle. Okay, so there's a sense of possession that is denoted by the word belonging. Now, the second sense of the word belonging is connection or relationality. When you say that you belong, you're talking about a sense of connection. You're talking about a sense of of relationality. You say, I belong to that family. I belong to that club. I belong to that church. I belong to that organization. What you're saying is that I am relationally connected and I am engaged with that family, with that organization, with that church. The thing about belonging is that it, uh, the, the type of belonging, at least we are talking about, is mutual. That is, belonging, if it is not mutual, it is slavery. If I belong to you, but you do not belong to me, I am your slave. And what God wants is not slaves, but sons and daughters. And when we talk about what our relationship with God is supposed to look like, belonging is the word that expresses to us most fully what it means to be in relationship with God. There's a song we used to sing when I was growing up that said, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Anybody old enough to know that song in this room today? Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. See, I grew up singing it in the white church and in the black church. And it's a little different. In the white church, it was blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And in the black church, we sing it a little little different. You slow it down. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Mine, not mine. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) 
Belonging to God is a mutual state of possession and connection. It means I belong to him and he belongs to me. It means I've surrendered my life to him and he has surrendered his life for me. And in actuality, typically the way belonging works is the lesser submits first to the greater. But with God, it's the other way around. He gave himself for you before you ever gave yourself to him. So he calls himself the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. He says, I'm their God. And Paul says, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. And so the state of belonging to God is a state of mutual self-giving in which God gives himself to you and you give yourself to God. So everything Paul talks about, I beseech you, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies holy and acceptable to God, holy, your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Yeah. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He literally says, I've died. I've died to myself. I've died to my own way. I've died to my own life. I've, I've died to my own possession of my life. I've surrendered my life fully to Jesus Christ. But presupposed in that is that Christ was crucified for me. He died. He died to his own way. He died to his own will. He surrendered himself to the Father on behalf of each and every one of us. God never invites us to do anything that he does not first do for us. And he never invites us to do anything that he is not willing to do with us. Amen. And that's the truth of the gospel. And so when God calls us to a place of surrender, what he's actually calling us to is fellowship. You see, if we don't understand that, then when God calls us to a place of surrender, it just feels like God's trying to take stuff from us. If we don't understand that when God calls us to surrender, he's inviting us into fellowship with himself. He's doing so because he wants us to experience that state of belonging between he and us. No. Then, it, then God just feels mean. He, it just feels like he's taking stuff from us. He's denying us stuff. He's saying no to stuff that I desperately need and I desperately want. And one of the marks of spiritual maturity among believers is this idea that God doesn't love me. If you come to the place where you're tempted to say, God doesn't love me, or I've heard believers say, I must be cursed. I must be under a curse. Simply because God hasn't answered a prayer that you desperately desire him to answer. Or God hasn't moved fast enough for you. Or God hasn't done something that you deeply desire. Or God has allowed you to walk into a circumstance that is detrimental to your well-being and joy. And so it's so easy to accuse God of not loving me, of not caring about me, or having removed his blessing from my life, or placed a curse over my life even worse. That's the state of our spiritual immaturity. Paul describes our infanthood as a state of being tossed to and fro by every wind. When you're tossed to and fro, today God loves you because things are going well. Tomorrow God doesn't love me because stuff isn't going so well. What God wants to do is establish us in the truth. And the truth is that we belong to God and God belongs to us. So long as we walk in faith, and are willing to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Now the question is, what does it look like to actually surrender your life to Jesus Christ? What does it look like? For most of us, it just looks like saying a prayer one day. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Don't you wish that was it? Like that was the only thing you had to do was just say that prayer. And that's all God ever asked of you for the rest of your life. Man, if that's the way it worked, that would be really easy, but that is not the way it works. Yeah. In actuality, it's great that that's not the way it works yeah. because you would be left in the shallow end of the pool and you'd, you would never understand what it means to walk in deep fellowship with God. Yeah. Deep fellowship with God is established at the very place at which God calls you to surrender something that is deeply valuable to you. Yeah. You see, belonging is not simply established by connection. We're connected. It's established by surrender. 
It's established by sacrifice. It's established by giving. Have you ever had a friend that every time you went out to lunch, you paid? And they never even reached for their wallet? Or they would always be in the bathroom when the bill came? And the bill would come, it would just sit there on the table, and they pretend they don't see it. And you're like, I paid for the last seven lunches. He gonna pay for this one. And then you're both, you know, pretending you don't see it. And finally he waits you out. You're like, forget it. You just take the bill and you pay for it. And you're smiling, but inside you're thinking, this is the last lunch you and I are going on. Come on, keep it real. There's gotta be mutuality. There's gotta be reciprocity. Belonging is not established simply by receiving. It's established by giving and receiving. If you got somebody in your life that you just receive, 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 but you never give to, you, you do not actually have a state of belonging with that person. You're not experiencing real fellowship until you give back, until you contribute, until you reciprocate. True belonging is actually not established. Now, there are situations in which you cannot reciprocate in kind. Yeah. You ever had a rich friend? Yeah. Or at least a friend who was richer than you? Yeah. <laughs> and he would always or she would always want to go to restaurants that you couldn't afford to pay? You'd be like, uh, if you want me to pay tonight, we're going to this nice Scottish restaurant I know called McDonald's. <laughs> you know? Are we going to go get some French fruit at Jacques in the box? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? A nice British food at Burger King. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> in other words, I cannot reciprocate at your level, but I can still reciprocate. We see that between parents and children very clearly. My daughter cannot give back to me what I give to her. But you know what she can do? She wrote me this beautiful letter for my birthday and drew pictures on it and said, Daddy, I love you with all my heart. You're the best daddy in the world. And then she went into her piggy bank and took out a a $20 bill and put it in the card. She gave me an allowance for my birthday. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Even though she cannot reciprocate at the level that I give, that simple act of reciprocation reinforces our sense of belonging. That is, when I give to her, it's because she's my daughter. And when she gives to me, it's because he's my daddy. And that is where our fellowship is experienced at its fullness. Now, I sat down and I, write out all, I wrote out all the characters in the Christmas story, all of the individuals that participated in the Christmas story. And you know what I discovered? We're going to be talking about different ones of those characters between now and December 23rd, which is our Christmas service. And I, I highly recommend that you come that day. It's going to be an awesome day. It's going to be a joint service with our San Francisco campus. And so this place is going to be filled with, they're coming here to join us for, uh, for uh, December 23rd and December 30th. And we're going to have those two services uh, joint. And by the way, on December 30th, it's going to be our 15-year anniversary service. And we're going to celebrate that with our San Francisco campus. So that's going to be awesome. Amen. Yeah. What was I talking about? Oh, all the members of the Christmas story. Their significance in the story was established at the very place at which they were called upon to surrender something to God. And they either surrendered it or did not surrender it. At the end of the day, the significance of their lives came down to were they willing to surrender to God or not? And some of them are famous for what they surrendered to God. And some of them are famous for what they refused to surrender to God. May I say to you that the ultimate significance of your life, what you will be remembered for, will come down to whether or not you are willing to to surrender to God. And some of us in this room will be remembered for what we surrendered. And others of us in this room will be remembered in eternity for what we did not surrender. And that is a scary thing, isn't it? Now, first, of course, 
we got to talk about Mary. I think we misunderstand Mary a lot because we read the Christmas story from the vantage point of hindsight. Like we're looking back on the Christmas story and hindsight is 2020. And that's why you can read Luke chapter two without being alarmed. That's why you can read Luke chapter two without being horrified. Mary did not have that luxury. I want you to understand this. The angel Gabriel comes to her and says, greetings, you who are highly favored of the Lord. And she's like, thank you. But what kind of greeting is this? What she's literally saying is, for some reason, I feel like what you're about to say next is not going to make me sound so highly favored by the Lord. (laughs) You ever had somebody butter you up and then ask for something big? My daughter says, you're the best daddy in the whole world. I'm like, oh, thank you, baby girl. Can you go get me a cup of water? (laughs) The angel Gabriel says to Mary, you're the best Mary in the whole world. She goes, thank you. He goes, now let me tell you what's about to happen. You're about to get pregnant. She's like, pregnant? I'm not even married yet. Matter of fact, I've never even known a man. I know that's the best part. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. And you're going to get pregnant out of wedlock. And the first thing Mary's thinking is, Joseph is about to be ticked. His family is going to want to stone me. My parents are probably going to slap me around. Nobody's going to believe me. I'm going to be walking around with the big belly and, and, and everybody in town's going to be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm going to be like, no, it was the Holy Spirit. And people are like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw you talking to Randy over there the other day. It wasn't no Holy Spirit. See, for us, when we read the Christmas story, what the angel said to Mary is awesome. You're going to give birth to Jesus. But Mary did not know who Jesus was. That's not good news to a virgin who has a fiance and is about to get married in a few months. You're going to get pregnant just before the wedding. I'd be like, "Uh, angel, can't you ask God if I can get pregnant after the wedding? (laughs) I mean, like. The day after the wedding? Because we also don't want to... I mean, what about the wedding pictures? I'm going to be pushing out to here and everybody's going to be looking at Joseph like, "Mm mm-hmm. 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 I know what y'all was doing. Mm -hmm." And he's going to be like, no, it's the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. That was the Holy Spirit, huh, Joseph? Huh? (laughs) You bad boy. (laughs) I need to calm it on down dude I just need to take it down a notch right quick in other words this word from the Lord actually what God was asking Mary to surrender was her reputation what God was asking Mary to surrender was her clean reputation The fact that she had been well spoken of by all. She was known as the good girl in her family and in her community. I want you to surrender your good girl status. And risk being ostracized by your entire community. Being rejected by your fiance. Why? Because God has a plan for your life. And if you say yes. A great blessing is going to come from your life in the long run. But in the short run there's going to be great pain. And the question is, why did the angel Gabriel come at all? Why didn't Mary just wake up pregnant one morning? Like all of a sudden she starts throwing up. Like, what am I throwing up for? Goes to see a doctor doing ultrasound. You pregnant. And then the angel Gabriel, oh, by the way, let me tell you why you pregnant. (laughs) Like God comes after the fact. (laughs) Yeah, that's the Holy Spirit. 
The angel came before the fact because God gave her an opportunity to say yes or no. Mary could have said, no way. Mm-mm. Go find you another virgin, not this virgin. Not today. Mm-mm. I've been worked too hard to get me a Joseph. I've been waiting for Joseph. Mm-mm. Because it was either Joseph or Boaz. (laughs) I've been working too hard for this reputation. You asking me to give it up? She had the opportunity to say no. God gives you the opportunity to say no. Isn't that interesting? And when he gets finished, Mary says, I'm the Lord's maidservant. Knowing what it's going to cost her. I'm the servant of the Lord. I belong to the Lord. If this is what God wants for my life, I don't have to understand it. I belong to the Lord. I'll never forget when everything was falling apart in my life in one season, I cried. I said, God, you've got to help me understand what's going on. You've got to tell me what's going on. And God said, I owe you no explanation. I said, what are you talking about, Lord? Of course you owe me an explanation. The Lord said, no, you told me your life belongs to, to me. And that means I can do with it what I will without explanation. I said, oh, snap. I didn't know it was like that. <laughs> I just sang the song, (laughs) you know, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my, I thought it was just a song. You took that seriously. (laughs) That's messed up. God, I don't do a brother like that. Mary says, I don't have to understand why. I mean, if I were Mary, I would have had a lot more questions for Gabriel. Okay. Hold on a sec. You're telling me I'm about to get pregnant and it's God. Like, like the, you're telling me the Holy Spirit. Okay, exactly how is that going to happen? And when? I need to prepare for this. I need to send some emails to my family members. <laughs> I need to sit. Are you visiting? Jo- are you going to visit Joseph right after this? Right? <laughs> you're going to tell him before I get pregnant, right? <laughs> uh, and if Joseph throws me out, are you going to pay for my medical coverage? <laughs> Where do I get to deliver said baby? Cause, and I haven't finished my degree yet. Do I get to finish school before this happens? I would have had a lot of questions. Where am I going to live? Is there any heavenly welfare that I'm going to get? Mary says, I'm the Lord's maidservant. I don't need to understand it. I don't have to get it. Does that scare you? You know why it scares you? And you know why it scares me? Because we don't really trust the Lord very much. Surrender is scary because we don't trust. Because if we fully trusted the Lord, we would understand that whatever he plans for my life is infinitely better and greater than anything I could concoct for my own life. And I would not have to ask for his explanation of the blessing that he's trying. See, the blessing always looks like a trial. Blessing always looks at, like disaster at first. Always. Because we got this in our mind that if, when God gets ready to bless you, a check's going to come in the mail that you weren't looking for. That's blessing. <laughs> Unsuspected money. <laughs> Bless the Lord. You know what I mean? It's like when that happens, I got blessed. But the angel says to her, you're highly favored of the Lord, but you ain't getting no money. Instead, you're going to get pregnant out of wedlock. Your mom's going to be on the phone talking to all your aunties about how disappointed in you she is. Your father's going to stop talking to you. Your fiance's going to break it off. And walk away from you. And your entire community is going to ostracize you. And for a while, you will be the only one who knows that what you've actually done is simply honor the Lord. One of our greatest fears is being misunderstood. Mary 
said yes to being misunderstood by the entire world. And that's why she has the place in the story that she has. Now watch this. She gets pregnant. She knows she's pregnant. But her cousin Elizabeth is about six months past her. So she's in the first trimester. And her cousin Elizabeth is in the third trimester. So her cousin Elizabeth, you know, John the Baptist is up in there. And Mary, Jesus is up in there. But Mary's in the first trimester. So Jesus is just, you know, a little embryo, a little fetus up in there. John the Baptist is like a real baby up in there, kicking with legs and all that junk, right? And all his junk, too. Sorry, wasn't necessary. I don't know why. It's that, that comedian in me that just sees, just sees it and just had to say it. <laughs> uh, sorry. So Mary decides to go visit her cousin Elizabeth. Nobody knows she's pregnant yet. First trimester, she's not showing yet. She goes to visit Elizabeth, and when she walks in the room, Elizabeth goes, blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Translation, you pregnant? (laughs) You're pregnant, and it's God. Mary didn't say a word. Mary is probably walking up there thinking, I got to tell somebody. I think I can tell my cousin Elizabeth. Because my cousin Elizabeth, like she's been there for me all my life. If anybody will understand, Elizabeth will understand. Or maybe she won't understand. Maybe she'll call me a liar. Maybe Maybe she'll throw me out. Maybe she'll tell my parents and they'll stone me. But I got to tell somebody. So I got to tell Elizabeth. How am I going to tell her? And she walks in the room and Elizabeth goes, you pregnant? How did you know I'm pregnant? Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. How do you know this, Elizabeth? Because the moment you walked in and the moment I heard the sound of your greeting, the baby up in my belly started to do his Holy Ghost dance. (laughs) That's how I know Elizabeth went to a black church. Mary walked in and John the Baptist went, hey, thank you. You ever seen a real Holy Ghost dance? You know when it's real, when somebody who really can't walk starts to dance like that? My grandmother was a hundred and something years old. She was about, she was in her nineties and it was at my uncle's funeral and me and my brother were helping her in and she couldn't even walk. And she got to the front, we sat her down, the Holy Ghost hit her in the middle of the service. She got up and ran laps around the whole room. And then after, I mean, I'm, I'm serious. In the middle of worship, the Holy Spirit hit her. She went, hey, and took off running and ran several laps around. And then when she sat down after it was over, me and my brother helped her out. <laughs> she went back to being lame. I said, that was the Holy Ghost. Not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit is a white church phenomenon. The Holy Ghost only comes to the black church. <laughs> Watch this, watch this, watch this. John is in Elizabeth's belly getting filled with the Holy Spirit. But the one filling it with the Holy Spirit is over in Mary's belly. They walked in and there was womb to womb communication. Jesus in Mary's belly went, take it. And John over here in Elizabeth's belly went, oh. <laughs> In other words, what Mary did not know is that what God was doing in her that required her surrender corresponded to what God was doing in Elizabeth that required her surrender. Because earlier in Luke chapter 1, the Bible tells us about this old priest named Zechariah. Emphasis on the old. He was an old priest who had an old wife. They were both well beyond childbearing years. And the scripture said of Zacharias that that man was blameless, even though he and his wife were barren. 
Isn't it interesting that this couple is barren but blameless? Do you know what blamelessness is? Blamelessness means two things. Number one, you cannot be blamed. Meaning, when God looks down on your life, he doesn't see anything to blame you for. But secondly, number two, it means you do not blame. Meaning, when you look at God's life, you see nothing to blame him for. You see, a lot of people think they're blameless because they're not doing anything wrong, but they do nothing but blame other people. It's my mama's fault. It's God's fault. It's my sister's fault. It's my boss's fault. It's this person's fault. You're not blameless if you're blaming other people for your current situation. When it says Zacharias was blameless, it meant number one, he was walking uprightly before God in spite of his situation. And number two, it meant he would not blame God for not get granting him the desire of his heart. What did Zacharias and Elizabeth desire? They desperately wanted to have a child, but God's plan for their life, understand this. God's plan for their life was for them to remain barren until it was impossible for them to have a child in the natural. Like literally, and they're thinking God's not answering our prayers. All these decades we've been praying for a child. No, God was literally, God was answering their prayers. He was saying, no, not yet. You see, we think God's not answering my prayer. Sometimes God answered your prayer. He just said, no, you may not like the answer. It doesn't mean he didn't answer. It just means you don't like the answer. He didn't say that he would always say yes. He just said he would answer. And sometimes his answer is no or no, not yet. And if you trust him, then you simply continue to believe that his no and his not yet are greater blessings to you than his yes. Did you hear that? Zacharias and Elizabeth continued to walk in faith that God's no, not yet was a greater blessing to them than his yes. Meaning if God were to say yes to them when they were 30 years old, it would have been a greater detriment to them than for him to say no, not yet until they were up in age. God's perfect will for their lives was for them to remain. And meaning what did they have to surrender to God? They had to surrender their youth. God was literally asking them, you give me your youth. You serve me through your youth and your desires will not come to pass. And Zacharias and Elizabeth said yes to God. How did they say yes to God? They continued to serve in his house. It's so easy. I see, I see it all the time. Believers walk away from the Lord. Why? Because I prayed for all these years for God to do such and such, and he didn't do it. And you walk with God for 15 years, you walk with God for 20 years, and something goes wrong in your life, and you blame God, and you walk away from him because he didn't say yes in your time. Which means your life was never actually surrendered to him. You simply had an agenda, and as long as it seemed that God was going to respond to your agenda, as long as God lived up to your time frame and did what you desired, you would continue to say, my, I surrender my life to you. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. As long as you give me what I want. I surrender all. Not really though. I surrender most. Well, actually, some to you with many conditions. I surrender not. But Zacharias and Elizabeth, they simply said, our job is to serve the Lord, whether he answers our prayers or not. And then all of a sudden, up in age, Zacharias is chosen as the high priest that year. He goes into the Holy of Holies to offer blood and incense in the Holy of Place. And the angel Gabriel's waiting there for him. He's like, oh, snap. (laughs) And the angel says, you and Elizabeth are getting ready to have a child. And Zacharias was like, uh... Have you seen Elizabeth? (laughs) And are you looking at me? There must be another Zachariah and Elizabeth. You you must got the wrong person. Not realizing that God had ordained it from the beginning. 
that their child would be born at exactly the right time and that he would play an important role in salvation history. And so Elizabeth is over here bearing a child in her old age. No 60-year-old woman wants to be pregnant. But she says yes to God. And her yes to God required her to bear a child in her old age. And Mary doesn't realize that her yes to God and Elizabeth's yes to God are getting ready to have a Holy Ghost party with one another. All of a sudden, Mary and Elizabeth are experiencing fellowship with one another. Why? Because they like each other? Because they're family? Because they go to the same church? Because they're in the same community? Because they work at the same job? No, their fellowship is not based even on their family connection. It's based on the fact that your yes to God and my yes to God are coming into fellowship with one another. You see, we have completely misunderstood what fellowship in the body of Christ is supposed to be about. We've completely misunderstood what our belonging to one another in the body of Christ is supposed to be about. You belong to me and I belong to you, not because we go to the same church, not because we throw out the same mission statement and the same vision, not because, you know, we work in the same tech industry or because we're in the same generation. And I hear that all the time. I hear it all the time. People say, I want to be in a community group with people my age. You're looking for the wrong kind of connection. I hear people say, I want to be in a community group with other people who work in the same field that I work in. I want to be in a community group with people who play golf like me. I want to be in a fitness community group. And we're trying to create, let's have a cooking group. And we're trying to create connection with one another based on human, earthly self-interest. You missed it. I want to be in a community group with other people who have said yes to God and are pregnant with their yes. I want to walk in the room where your yes to God says hello to my yes to God. And before I even say anything to you out of the sound of my voice, the yes in you and the yes in me are already having fellowship with one another. That's where we experience belonging. Mary and Elizabeth experienced a sense of belonging to one another that was born out of their mutual surrender to God. Because I surrender to God and you surrender to God. I belong to God. You belong to God. We belong to one another. Which means that our fellowship in the body of Christ is always, always, always secondary and derivative. I am never directly connected to you without God. I'm only connected to you through God. Which means that if you decide not to say yes to God, there's going to be a breakdown in our fellowship with one another. And you're going to think, how come you don't talk to me anymore like you used to? No, no, no. How come you don't talk to God anymore like you used to? And I will never intentionally shun you because of that. I see it all the time. People walk away from Christ and then say, I don't know why people don't relate to me the way they used to. Because you were connected to people because of your yes to God. And now you started saying no to God. And you wonder why you feel disconnected from the community of the yes. That's what the church is supposed to be. The fellowship of the yes. We are yes men and yes women. We are God's yes men and yes women who have simply said, you know, that's the one thing they tell you in business. Don't be a yes man. I don't want to be a yes man. Don't be a yes man. Nope, don't be a yes man. Question. You got a question. And then we bring that to church. I don't want to be a yes man to God. So everything God says, well, why? Well, why? I've got some tough questions for you, Lord. You hear people saying that like it's a virtue. Yeah. I've got tough questions for the Lord. I've got some tough questions for the Lord. Well, God's got some tough questions for you. And I guarantee you, you're not going to fare well when he starts asking you questions. I'm sorry, but I think it's better not to question God. I think it's better to just give him my unconditional yes. Tough questions for God? Who do you think you are? Don't get me wrong. You can have tough questions for me. You know what I mean? I'm not saying don't question your pastor. 
I'm saying don't question God. When he calls for your surrender to his will and to his way. Why? Because when God calls for my surrender, what he has planned for me is infinitely greater than anything that I could ever plan for myself. Mary says, I'm the handmaiden of the Lord. And Elizabeth says, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then what does Mary say? The Holy Spirit comes on her and she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit shall rejoice in God, my savior. I love the Magnificat in, in, in Latin. It's, it's sung all over the world. Magnificat anima mea dominum et exultavit et exultavit. She's saying my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit shall rejoice in God, my savior, for he has filled the hungry with good things. And then she goes on to say, from this day forward, all generations shall call me blessed. She starts prophesying over her own life because all of a sudden she got the revelation that her yes to God was actually going to flip the script on all of the rejection that she experienced because of it. That she would look back in hindsight and say, a bunch of people called me a skank and a bunch of people called me all kinds of words. And rejected me. But if I look forward, all generations are going to call me blessed. And do you know what we are? Do you know why we're here? We are in this room right now because 2,000 years ago, a little virgin girl named Mary said yes to God and was willing to be rejected for that yes. Her yes actually created community. She was so afraid that her yes would cut her off from community. What she didn't realize was that her yes actually created community. Do you realize that in the body of Christ, our connection and our community is only created by somebody's yes to God? Have you ever sat in a seat somewhere and recognized that you're only there because somebody said yes to God years ago? Yeah. That, that Have you ever been in a place where you said, I'm only experiencing this because this somebody said yes to God? Every time you experience the presence of God, you need to stop and say, who said yes right. so that I could have this? And who's going to have something from God because of your yes? Well, no. Or who's not going to have something from God because of your yes? Or because of your lack of a yes? You remember that dude, Herod? You know who Herod was? King Herod? You know what he called himself? the king of the Jews until some, we call them wise men. The Bible calls them magi. Magi. Does that sound familiar? It's the root of the word magicians. These were magicians from the East, but these magicians from the East saw a star. Now I've seen many stars. But these magicians from the east saw a particular star and it said when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Why did they rejoice with exceeding great joy? Because they got a revelation. They got a revelation that that star marked the birth of a child who would be born king of the Jews. How did they know that? Somehow God revealed it to them. And the second component of that revelation was that the greatest privilege and honor of their life would be to find that child, to search for that child with all of their might to find that child and to surrender their everything to him. What did they surrender? What did they give? They gave their lives. They packed up on camels, took their greatest possessions, their greatest treasures, and went out in search of the child. And then they find Herod. They go to Jerusalem. They come to Herod's court and they say, hey, so uh, tell us where he is. And Herod's like, tell, it, tell you where who is. They're like, you know, the one born king of the Jews. And Herod's like, uh, nah, I'm king of the Jews. And they're like, not anymore. <laughs> Come on, quit playing, Herod. We're way from over there in the east, and we know he's the king of the Jews. You're right here in Jerusalem. Surely you know he's king of the Jews. Show us where he's born. Where, where's he at? Come on. Come on, Herod. We want to worship him. And Herod goes, I'll be right back. Isn't it crazy? It was happening in Herod's backyard, but he had to do a Bible study in order to figure out what it was. He goes into his back room. He calls all of his court theologians. He goes, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And they didn't know. They had to go do us. They had to go read the Bible to find out. And then they came and said, we found it in Zechariah chapter nine, verse six. 
But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you're the smallest among the clans of Judah, yet out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So Herod goes and tells the wise men, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Tell you what, go find him and then come back and tell me where he is so I can worship him too. It's always a big problem when somebody asks you to seek God on their behalf, but they're not willing to seek God for themselves. Somebody say to you, when you go to church, can you say a prayer for me? No, you go to church and say a prayer for yourself. I, I, I finally learned in life, I don't pray for people anymore. I pray with you, but not for you. I will pray with you, along with you. I will pray for you if you are praying for yourself. I remember I was fasting for somebody one time, and then I saw him on Instagram eating pizza. I said, my fast just ended. If it ain't that serious to you, it ain't that serious to me either. I will pray for you while you're on your fast. <laughs> Herod said, you go search for him, then come back and tell me where he is. Mm-mm, you need to go search for him yourself. You need to look for God for yourself. And the wise men, they come to Bethlehem. They find him in a manger. And you know what they do? They offer to him, they give to him their gold, their frankincense and their myrrh. That is, they brought out their greatest treasures and surrendered them at the feet of this child born in a manger. Why are they important parts of the story? Because they saw the star, they got a revelation, and they said yes. Why is Herod in the story? Because Jesus was his competition, and he said no. Mary's in the story. Because she said yes. Elizabeth's in the story. Because she said yes. The Magi are in the story. Because they said yes. But Herod is in the story. Because he said no. In this room, there are Marys. There are Elizabeths. There are Magi. And there are Herods. Which one are you? You know what? You might have walked in a Herod, but you can walk out a Mary. All you got to do is say yes to God. And you know what? You don't have to be afraid of what your yes is going to cause you to lose. I hear it all the time. I'm not ready to say yes to God yet. Why not? Because if I say yes to God, then I got to stop doing this and I got to stop doing that and I got to stop doing this. I'm going to lose this and I'm going to lose that and I'm going to lose this and I'm going to lose that. You know what? What you gain by saying yes to God is infinitely greater than what you could ever lose. Bow your heads. Let's pray. Somebody come to the keyboard, please. Lord, we bless you today. A little softer. We bless you today and we thank you that you're in this place. And we're here today because we desire to say yes. And I pray today that you would break off of our hearts and minds the fear of saying yes to you. Lord, some of us have been plagued for years by the fear of saying yes to you. Some of us desire in our hearts to surrender to you, but there's a fear of saying yes to you. The decision is difficult until it's made. But once it's made, the decision is easy. We're so afraid of loss, and we spend so much of our time fearing loss trying to protect ourselves from loss, trying to make ourselves loss-proof. If I lose, how do I recover? But Lord, you're breaking off of us the fear of loss. And you're replacing it with the anticipation of gain. 
And the kingdom of heaven is like a field that a man was walking in and he found within that field a pearl of great price. And when he found it, he buried it again. And in his joy, he went out and sold all that he had and came back and bought that field. Yes, the kingdom of heaven requires loss. We got to sell all we have. But what we gain when we buy the field is the pearl of great price. What we gain in you is greater than anything we could ever lose by saying yes to you. Lord, I pray that the fellowship of the yes would increase in this place. I pray that the fellowship of the yes, you are the God who said, gather to me, my faithful ones, those who have made covenant with me by sacrifice. God, I give you my yes today. I give you my yes. I give you my yes. I give you my yes, and I'm not afraid of what I'm going to lose. I give you my yes, my unconditional yes, my, my unquestioned yes. I'm not going to ask you why or what or how. I'm simply going to say yes to you today. I'll say yes, Lord. Yes to your will and to your way. I'll say, yes, Lord, yes, I'll trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart, I'll agree and my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. Holy Spirit, minister to every heart now, minister to every soul now, especially every soul that's struggling inside. Because, Lord, some of us today know the yes that you're asking for from us. And others of us don't know it yet. But some of us we know. Even even though I'm a believer, I know the yes that you're asking for from me. Lord, I say yes. Teach us to press for the yes. Teach us to press for the yes. When I feel a hesitation in my heart, teach me how to get on my knees and pray until my heart releases and I say yes. Yes. Teach me how to cry out to you and say, Lord, would you empower my yes? Would you help me to say yes? Lord, I want to say yes. I say yes, Lord, but help my no. Just like the man said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. There's a part of me that keeps saying no, and I don't want it to say no anymore. God, would you empower my yes? I press for the yes. Lord, as we come to our place of yes before you as individuals, May we experience that fellowship that Mary and Elizabeth experienced. The fellowship of the yes. The fellowship of the yes. The fellowship of surrender. That community that says, I'm surrendered to God. And what a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. I have blessed peace in this pilgrim race, leaning on the everlasting arms. I speak blessing and encouragement peace and joy over every heart and over every soul. And I pray that this Christmas season, we would experience a greater gift than we've ever experienced before, a greater freedom and a greater joy that comes from a deeper surrender and a greater yes. I pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's all stand in the presence of God. Amen.